Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thank you for joining with us today in worship, and as we were singing that, I love uh, just that resolve we see in Psalm 150 that was read, but throughout the Psalms of, I will praise the Lord, you know, and just that whatever happens in life, um, His praise is, is what I will bring, and so encouraging to be here together and, and encourage one another in that we serve a great God, don't we? And just want to say, it's good to be back with you. We were appreciated the time away, a bit of rest and refuel, but uh, man, it's just not the same. We worshiped with you via video, but uh, just good to be together. It reminded me to just welcome everyone who is worshiping with us via video, and we see you, we love you, and can't wait till you're back with us. But, uh, but Tam and I, just so thankful for the chance to be a part of, of this faith family and follow Christ with you guys. And uh, one thing, I had a couple people have asked me, hey, where's Wes and Janae? We're missing them. And it hit me. We, communication, we need to just keep, keep talking about it, but they are on sabbatical. They haven't left us, so they're coming back and can't wait to see them. Um, two weeks, they'll be back. August 7th is when he'll be jumping back with us. But pray for them as they, I think this week they're in Gatlinburg and just uh, together and just God would uh, strengthen their marriage, but also... Um, just give them what they need to, to continue to serve him here. Well, as I mentioned, we are week four of our On Mission message series. And the goal is, it just stoke in us a passion to be a witness for Christ, to live on mission as we live out our everyday lives. And uh, I'll just confess something real quick. First service, not having been up for a, for a couple weeks and then standing up here and I'm having the same experience right now. There's certain messages you look out at you and you're like, you guys are doing this. We could shut, I don't know that I even need to preach this. <laughs> but uh, you guys, I look out at our church family and it blows me away. As I, I get windows into your lives and stories of what you're doing out there for the Lord. Just being faithful in your work and your relationships. It's awesome. And so keep, I would say, keep on I also know, though, that we, we go through seasons of discouragement, and maybe today you've come and you're wondering, you're feeling like, man, I'm not making a difference, or you're discouraged in doing good, or um, you're tired, you're worn, whatever, and my prayer for you is that the text we're going to look at, God would use his word to encourage your heart and just stoke your fire um, to keep on keeping on for whatever it is that God has called you into. So, We'll, we'll be in Acts chapter 18. We're going to Corinth, the city of Corinth, and uh, we're following Paul there. Remember Paul, his passion was to take the gospel where it hadn't been before, and he's pioneering west. He's just, he's going out of Jerusalem, Antioch, and he just keeps going west where these people haven't heard of Christ. His goal is get to Spain, and we're going to see him next week get to Rome, but uh, he's made it to Corinth. He's on his second missionary journey, and this is the farthest west that he goes on that journey. But we get, Luke gives us a little window into to what's going on, uh, his ministry there. Verse 1, it says, after this, Paul left Athens. So appreciated Pastor Tyson taking us into that moment in Athens last week. He leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth. Side note on context with Corinth, it was a strategic city. We have a map of it here 
So you, you can see it was port city, so all kinds of cultures sailing into this city. Um, it was pretty big, 200,000 people, which for that day was, was very large. It was the capital city of, that, of its province, and it was known for uh, luxury, wealth. You had lots of money here, lots of greed as well, and then it was also known for just sensuality. I was thinking, what, what city in our country would equate with Corinth? It would be Las Vegas, pretty much, Sin City. Um, so Paul goes there, though, with the gospel, and we get to uh, pick it up and, and watch what happens here. One, God, uh, we get to see God work through him, but he's going to give Paul a gift that's timeless, that we can receive as well and uh, put to play in our own faith journey. It will encourage us as we seek to live on mission. So let's read on there, verse 2. It says, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. So bad situation for Aquila and Priscilla, but actually, see God using that? It says, Paul went to them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So there we see in this day, every fa- you were born into, your family had a guild or a trade. Paul's family trade was tent making. And uh, it allowed him to go travel and provide for himself when he, uh, and then it was common in the day for a rabbi to have a trade. And, and so he connects with them over this. He uh, says, every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So remember, synagogue is where the Jews would go to have their worship service. It says, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So we know some backstory there. Macedonia, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we learn that they came with an offering or some financial help that freed Paul up probably from tent making so he could just focus on preaching. And then we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 to 4, the content of Paul's message where he explains how he taught and how he preached in Corinth. And it was not with eloquence and all this wisdom and to be impressive. He, remember what he said? I have one message when I was with you guys and it was Jesus Christ crucified. The simple message of the gospel, Jesus fully took on humanity, Christ fully God, that he would die for us on the cross for our sin. And he offers eternal life to everyone who believes. The, the sweet gospel that is powerful that if we receive that we are forgiven of our sin and made right with God and receive eternal life and so we see he's he's busy um, testifying to Jesus but notice verse uh, what happens in verse 6 it says but when they opposed Paul and became abusive he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them your blood be on your own heads I am innocent of it from now on I will go to the Gentiles. That was the picture, a symbolic picture that they had in that day of just like when somebody rejected you, finally you're just like, forget it, done with you guys. I gave you a chance. I've been warning you, but you're not listening. So the responsibility for your soul on judgment day is is between you and God. And he moves on to the Gentiles. But verse seven and eight, then Paul, I love this about him. This is a bold move. He says, then Paul left the synagogue and went where? Next door (laughs) to the house of Titus Justice, a worshiper of God. And so just that picture of, all right, you guys don't want to hear it. And he goes right next door, which you can imagine, 
you know, as the worshipers are going to the synagogue and here Paul and others are going right next door, probably a little conflict going on there, but, but notice this, Crispus, this synagogue leader and his entire house believed in the Lord. So there you do have awkward moments. Instead of going into the synagogue, Crispus and his family is now walking into Titus's house with Paul, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So what's going on here in Corinth? Three observations jump out of this text. The first is, Paul's getting it done. He's living on mission, motion, action. He's going. He goes to Corinth. He's preaching. It says, in every, uh, every Sunday, every Sabbath, he, he's preaching. So he's regular, just uh, serving the Lord as, as God has called him to serve. He's tent making. He's doing what it takes to provide for his needs, to fund the ministry, and he's preaching Christ. He's sharing the gospel. He's going. Observation two, the church is growing. God is building his church. Exciting. He, he, Luke makes the point, many of these people in Corinth are coming to Christ, and they are believing the gospel, and they're being baptized. That, that step of obedience to Christ, saying, I'm all in, fully devoted to him. And he makes the note here, he points to one of them, Crispus, <laughs> which we learned from 1 Corinthians that Paul actually... This is one of the few people he baptized. But the synagogue leader is saved and, and comes to Christ and be, begins to follow him. This is huge. And then the third observation, Corinth is full of opportunities and opposition, which becomes a norm for effective ministry and for our own lives. It's good to remember that, you know, where you have opportunities, open doors to share Christ, here comes opposition. C.H. Spurgeon, a preacher from a century or two ago, used to say, the devil never kicks a dead horse, you know? You don't have to worry about people who aren't taking advantage of opportunities, but where you have opportunity, now you're going to have the forces of darkness um, creating some opposition, and, and Paul's filling it. So, as we look at this situation, um, we, we could say, you know what? Okay, Paul's on mission. The church is growing. There's opportunities, there's opposition, but the gospel is going forward. Everything's good, right? All is well, right? Nope. Something happens between verses 8 and 9 that Luke doesn't tell us, give us the details of it, but we know, um, we know it's a reality based on what comes next, and it is this. Paul is jumped by fear. We know that because of what comes next. At some point, Paul is he's getting it done, he's going, he's, but fear jumps him. And I think we, I appreciate the Lord keeping it real for us because sometimes you read the letters of Paul and you, the life of Paul and you think, man, this guy's ironclad soul, man, he's superhuman, never has a struggle. And yet um, what we learn here is fear tags him and is threatening to shut him up. He, he's struggling with with some fear, and I appreciate that because I think, and speaking, I think it's safe to say we've all been there, haven't we? Living out life mission, and then boom, here comes some fear, and it's hard. How do you get through those moments when fear jumps you? You say, okay, what was the source of Paul's fear? We don't know for sure, but rolling back through those three observations, we can deduce some things. One is, we know Paul's getting it done. He's a go-to, guy's just, he's working, he's going, action, but what do we also know about, as we're getting it done, we grow tired, we grow weary, and when are we most susceptible to fear? It's often in those moments of fatigue, isn't it? 
football coach Vince Lombardi said, uh, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And we feel that at the end of a long day or at the end of a long season of, of ministry. He could have been over, also overwhelmed by the challenges of, of ministry there, okay? We, we know that the church is growing, good thing. But when you have a Corinthian who comes to Christ, the gap between where they're at and becoming like Christ, lots of room for, lots of opportunity for uh, growth, <laughs> which I'm sure he's like, man, the church is just exploding, and now with each person coming to Christ, there's another soul that he's trying to help, and he might get to the point where, I just can't do this. The gap's too big, and the workers are too few, and maybe he's overwhelmed by just the challenges of helping this new church. The third observation, Corinth is full of opportunities and opposition. We know when the enemy comes at us, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. We, we have no fear. The devil, he has to go through the Lord to get to us, and we're safe. But it's still opposition, and it's still darkness, and it's still evil, and it's hard at times. And when, when are we most susceptible, I think, to the lies of the enemy and the attacks of our enemy, the opposition? It's usually at night, isn't it? They're in the middle of the night, and that problem looked okay during the day, but boom, it gets big, worries come, um, doubts come, and, and we struggle, don't we? It's, it's hard. Paul's ex- maybe exhausted, overwhelmed, under attack, fears jumping him. The question for us is, have you been there? And I think most of us say, yeah, maybe even today you are in that spot. You're looking at what's ahead of you like, there's some fear that you're battling. I have some good news for you in what comes next. And this is a precious moment in the life of Paul. I think it's one of the reasons God has Luke recorded for us. Because what God gives us here is a fear extinguisher. In those moments when fear is threatening us to slow us in our life mission, it's a fear extinguisher to put into play, to grab it, use it in our own lives. And maybe may even mark, somewhere mark in your Bible, right? Fear extinguisher, return to this place precious gift. We see it there in verses 9 through 11 as uh, it says this. One night the Lord spoke. Notice it's at night. (laughs) Meeting him probably when fear is at its peak. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. and He said, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you. No one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. Notice the imperative from our Lord is clear. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Here, the Lord is is telling Paul, hey, do not let fear quiet your witness. Keep on speaking. Because where you find a faithful witness, you will find resistance of the enemy, the forces of darkness. And what is the primary weapon of the forces of darkness? It's fear. Always has been to to spook us. To which we say, okay, how? And Paul may have been thinking, how? How can I obey this command when when the fear is very real, the threats may be very real? How? And this is where the Lord gives him and gives us the fear extinguisher. Three parts to this fear extinguisher. The first one is... The reality of his presence. I am with you. Don't you love that? He just starts out reminding him, I am with you. And I love it that this is not a promise. He's not like, hey, I will be with you. 
This is a reality. I am with you. And Christ follower, I remind you this morning that if you know him, he has promised his presence, and it's not a future promise. It's a current reality. He is with you. When fear jumps, you know this. Think about how many times throughout the, the redemptive history of God that he whispers to his people, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Think about Joshua before he's about to go into the, the promised land and he's going to face giants and face battles. And multiple times the Lord tells him, don't be afraid, I will be with you. I think about Abraham, the father of faith, all the way back in Genesis 15, verse 1, when God calls him, what's the, what's the content of his call? Do not be afraid. The enemy's going to meet us. If we're living on mission, you can count on resistance, but the, God calls us, don't be afraid, and what's the source of our courage? It is the presence of the risen Christ, period. He is with us. Remember when you were a kid and you got the nightmare, and man, what do you do? You jump up. I remember I always, Scooby-Doo used to, I don't know why, but freak me out. And uh, I would have that nightmare in the middle of the night, and I'd go running into mom and dad's room, and I remember mom kind enough to put a bed in their, right at the base, uh, on the floor right at the base of their bed, and all I had to do is hear dad snoring. And, uh, <laughs> sorry dad, <laughs> and that was comfort to me, and promise, or truth like this is, just God's reminder to us, you're not alone. I'm with you in this. Don't be afraid. Isaac, don't be afraid. Genesis 26, 24. Jacob, don't be afraid. Genesis 46, 3. Daniel, prophet, don't be afraid. Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Mary, don't be afraid. Luke 1, 30. Child of the king today, don't be afraid. The living God, he stands with you. What do you do when fear jumps? You treasure the presence of the Lord. He is with you. Treasure his presence and keep on. Second part of the fear extinguisher is his promise to us. You see it in this text. No one will harm you. It's there where he says, I'm with you. No one is going to attack you or harm you. This is where we claim the promise of his protection. When we set out to follow our Lord, there's no safer place in the universe. He's got us. We are sheltered by his protection. But I can hear the question, and I ask the question, wait a minute, what about the times we watch Paul get the daylights beat out of him, flogged, beaten, all the, the things that he had to go through? That doesn't feel like protection. Well, what we know is, and as followers of Christ, we're not promised safety. We, we are called to be ready to suffer, and we share in the sufferings of Christ. And so we want to suffer well. We know that we will experience the effects of evil, but we know that everything that comes our way, he will give us the grace to get through it, and he will transform even what is evil for our good and his glory. We know that. We have his word on that, and we have his protective care going through that. It is, interpreting this, it is important to note that this is a promise given to Paul in a particular context, Corinth, he may have been wondering, do I just get out of this town now? Is this my sign to go on to the next city? And here the Lord is reminding him, or, or informing him, no, stay put. And we know he stays 18 months, the longest he stayed outside of only uh, Ephesus, where he stayed a little longer with these people. But the broader application for us is true, that when we are living on mission for our Lord, we are safe in his care. And let that promise um, encourage you to keep on 
the, uh, Paul, don't let the threat, the threats around you silence your witness. Keep on. I will be your protection, I, and no one will harm you. So I was thinking about our, our own lives and where we're at today in our context. Generally, we, we don't face external threats. It's usually the internal threats, isn't it? The fear of, oh man, what's social ramifications if I share Christ? We know we're called to be Christ, to live out the love of Christ, and be a compelling witness in that way, but at some point, we have to go verbal with the gospel, don't we? I mean, we can't just assume people are going to figure it out on their own. We have to take that next step and say, okay, here's the truth. Here's the good news. God loves you. John 3, 16, God loves you. He gave his son for you because we're sinners and we've separated ourselves from him because of our sin. But Jesus died for you and, and rose from the dead and offers eternal life to everyone who believes and talk through that in the, whatever context you're in. But that's a scary moment, you know? And fear can get us in that moment. But just to be reminded that, that he's got us. He's got our, what we're going to say, he's got our social world. He's going to help us through that. But to be a faithful witness in those moments. And then the third part of this fear extinguisher, which this week studying this, I felt like this was the line that the, this line just caught fire in my soul. And I, I thought for our entire church, it felt like this is what God really wants us to hear out of this text. And it's, his purpose becomes clear. Last part of the verse where he says, because I have many people in this city. The purpose of God, I have many people in this city. Isn't that a powerful line, powerful reality that he opens to, to Paul? Why is the living God with us in this moment, with you in this moment, and why is he protecting you in this moment? Is it just so that we can make it safely home? Like get through life and, and get, finish up? No. He, he reveals it here. It's for people. And it's for the people in our city that, that will come to faith in Christ. He's telling Paul, hey, he's putting a face to the mission and the vision. Reminding him, yeah, you're going to have threats and opposite of these things. But I'm with you for a purpose, and I'm protecting you for a purpose. And the purpose is the person out there. I have many people in this city who need to hear the message of the gospel, the good news, that I love them, gave my life for them, and will save them if they open their hearts to me. I have many people in this city. Our mission is about people, isn't it? It's about helping one person at a time step into the joy of a love relationship with the one who made them, created them. I love this phrase, and this week as I was, it was Thursday when it really, I started, uh, I started living with it in mind, and it changed my perspective of, as I was interacting with people. It was cool. I, was, I felt the power of it. As, um, and what it does, one, it opens up our, uh, a window into the mystery of God's salvation beautiful plan of salvation, which we don't fully understand, but one thing we know, when he says, I have many people in the city, it reminds us, who does the saving work in a person's life? Is it us who are trying to save people? No. From, we know the rest of Scripture, from start to last, God is the one who saves us. We have been chosen before the creation of the world, and there's mystery in that. And so there's, it takes the pressure off us. We don't save anyone. God saves them. But who does?
does God use to save people? What is the means through which God is sovereignly ordained to save people? It's your witness, and it's my witness. He says, Paul, don't stop talking. Don't stop talking. Keep talking. Why? I have many people in this city. Isn't that awesome? And you say, okay, keep on. Why? I have many people in this city. And Paul may be thinking, Corinth, have you seen these people? Half of them are crazy. <laughs> they don't want you, Lord. They, they don't. Look at how they're living. He's like, no, yes, Corinth, Sin City. I have many people in this city. Keep on. I love the way he says many, too. Many. Many. I, I know um, I'm by nature, I'm by birth an optimist, but I am by faith an optimist as well. And when I look into Danville, Indiana, when you look at Danville, Hendricks County, whatever city you're from, Indiana, what, what, do you, what should we be seeing as we go with the gospel? Many. And many for me is every. There's no reason why every person in our town can't come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's what we're praying, what we're working, what we're believing. When we look into the eyes of people, every person that we see is somebody for whom Christ died and for whom we love and needs the gospel. And that's the heart that, that we want to have. One of the things I, I love about this phrase, too, is that it helps us see people the way God sees them. And just slow down a little bit. I know I'm a getter done. I've got my to-do list and flying through the day, and it's easy to slip away from that reality that the most important thing is not my to-do list, but it's the person right in front of me. And I felt that this week as I was looking into people's eyes with this. I have many people in this city, and it helped me just stay present with them, um, to really listen and care about them and think, you know, if God wants me to be with this person for the rest of the day and nothing else happens with the to-do list, no greater calling than that. And, and then it, uh, it helps us through fear too, isn't it? When, when it becomes personal and we love that person, love just mows down fear, doesn't it? Hey, I'll, I'll share. Um, I don't care. Another gift that flows out of this phrase is, there, is the reminder that God's at work all around us. It's easy in our day to become somewhat negative, jaded, and, oh, man, isn't what it was, mess up. Oh, well, guess what? <laughs> God has many people in this city and what a gift just to be reminded that man he's at work all around us the question are we seeing it and are we engaged in it joining him in the work that he's doing we get to play a part in this so it was uh, after a Sunday message a couple um, weeks ago Joe Stewart was uh, he's a police officer in our community and he was challenged to make a bold move it had been on his radar to do this, but he hadn't got, quite got around to it, which was to uh, throw out the idea of a Bible study with his SWAT team. He's in leadership on his SWAT team, and so it was that, that later on, right after the message, he's like, all right, I'm going for it. He, he uh, typed the email, hey guys, it was this week Tuesday, when we have our meeting Tuesday, if you want to be a part, part of a Bible study, come an hour early. He didn't know what they're going to study, he didn't know how this is going to go out with these guys. But he's like, should I, should I? Yep, hit send. He goes out, and then he begins the wait process. And you hear the voices. Is anyone going to show up? And are there going to be some ramifications with these guys? Well, this Tuesday came, 
and five guys showed up. Profanity and all. (laughs) Some may not know Christ, but showing up and they're going to go just work through the the Bible chapter by chapter, pray together, and who knows what God's going to do. The kingdom of God is built one bold move at a time. I have many people in this city and so to help us live this out this week, I, I heard it, an initiative that I thought, man, great idea. The family, I was reading a book called Sent, and it was written by two Campus Crusade uh, staff members and the Holman family, and they would do this with their team a couple times a year, and it's this. It's called the What Do You See initiative. They would send out a text to their team and at a random time during the day, and when that text comes, you pause and you just look at the person in front of you and you pray this prayer. Lord, help me see this person the way that you see them. Pretty simple. And so I thought, hey, what if we run that as a church family this week? And so we'll send that text, random time during the day. And when you get that text, you, you look around and who are the people that God has brought on your path? And it gives you that slowdown moment just to pause and, and pray for them. Lord, one, what do you see? But then what part do you want me to play in this person's life and their, their journey? Does that sound good? You guys up for that? And uh, thought, man, that could be a, I'm excited to, to just see where God works and moves and helps, helps us live on mission this week. Living on mission doesn't mean we have to radically change our location. Living on mission means we have to radically change our perspective to see people the way God sees people. I have many people in this city. Amen. Uh, Friday afternoon, just joy of the week to get to go be with uh, Larry and Diana Huff, who can't join with us due to health reasons, and then uh, Earl White, who's a charter member, Earl of many, Earl's a charter member, he's 98 years old, and he's got pancreatic cancer and and is preparing to die, and so um, fully devoted follower of Jesus, and I go to Hope, try to be a blessing to these couples, and they've blessed me. And guess where they blessed me? <laughs> that was totally unexpected. Their passion to live on mission in this season of their life. Larry and Diana, every meal, pray for one of a person who in their life that doesn't know Christ. Love this person who, before a couple years ago, was a total stranger. They're praying for him. Tears. They care about this guy's soul. Right now they can't be out and about. They're living on mission. Man. It pumped me up. We're never done, are we? Earl White. Sitting over there, he's doped up on medicine even now, morphine even now. But full of the joy of the Lord, passionate to, to finish well. And, and when it came to his, sur- I was like, what do you want me to cover at your funeral service? He goes, I want it to be simple. I don't want it to be all full of stuff, but I want you to preach Jesus Christ to my family, to my kids, to my grandkids. That's it, isn't it? Just lift me up, live on mission to the finish. So I hope today this text has fired you guys up. I hope God has just encouraged you wherever you're at to just go out and be faithful. Just do what he's put in front of you, knowing these three things. All right, fear's going to jump us. Threats are going to be scaring us, but hear him say again, I am with you. 
No one will harm you. And I have many people in this city. May we treasure his presence, hang on to his promise, and then step into his purpose for, for our life until he comes or until he calls us home. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, preserving this moment in time. And Jesus, the way you stood by Peter that night, and just, or Paul, and just encouraged him. And, and now even through him, you're encouraging us. And we thank you for that. Lord, thank you for saving us. We know um, we don't deserve anything that you've done for us. And yet you've given us all things in you. And we have a beautiful future. I thank you for that. And thank you also for the chance to join you in what you're doing. And we hear you through this text to uh, keep on in the mission that you've put before us. And Lord, we would pray salvation for the people around us this week. And opportunities just to share the sweet, simple good news of your love with those around us. And uh, Lord, would you be at work? We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.